Just to, to refresh your memory, when we're looking at these seven churches, so le seven letters to seven churches, we're, we're looking at the, the Lord's message um, to every church in every generation throughout the entire age uh, of the church. So remember we talked about how the number seven is, a, it's a representative uh, of fullness or completion. So it's the whole church that's being uh, addressed in these seven letters to the churches. These seven churches in their names, in their graces, in their defects, in their relation to Christ and in his promises and warnings to them comprehend everything found in the entire church as it then existed or would ever exist. So, so all of the, the possible scenarios are uh, put together in these letters. The, the, the challenges, the difficulties, the blessings, all of these things are, are wrapped up in these uh, letters. So the, these are the things that Jesus uh, has to say to his church. And this is the part of Revelation, these two chapters here. These are the chapters that are really immediately relevant to us. The, the chapters following this are all speaking about events that are still yet future. And of course, those events, we, the church, will not even be on earth to experience, but we're gonna get uh, some insight and some understanding on, on what things are uh, going to be like at that point. But the real primary application of revelation to the church is found here in these letters to the churches. And so uh, notice that in each case, the address is to the angel of the church. And let's understand up front that the angel here is really just a reference to the leader of the church, the pastor of the church. Uh, the word angel, it means messenger. Most of the time when we find this word in the New Testament, it is speaking of a heavenly messenger. We, so that's why we're always thinking in terms of the heavenly messengers, but the word itself just means messenger. And there are times in the New Testament when the word is applied to human beings rather than to and, and heavenly uh, beings. And so this is one of those examples. So it's the, the pastor of the church that is being addressed here. And just a quick note on Ephesus. We'll go into more detail, like I said, on Wednesday night. But the interesting thing I want to remind you of with Ephesus is that Ephesus, the church itself, was established by none other than the Apostle Paul. So this is an amazing church. Established by the Apostle Paul. Paul was, uh, he wasn't really the pastor of the church. He was the founder of the church. But remember, Paul's ministry was apostolic, so he was on the move. But he spent three years there laying the foundation for that church in Ephesus. Um, church history tells us that uh, Timothy, Paul's uh, close associate, was at one time the pastor of the church after its founding. And then church history also tells us that the apostle John, the one who's receiving this revelation, also at a later date uh, pastored this church. So this was an amazing church. This was the place that uh, every Christian in the region probably wanted to uh, visit at least once uh, in their life. The, the church that was started by Paul, pastored by Timothy, and also by 
the Apostle John. And Jesus, he introduces himself here, and he speaks of himself as, or as he um, begins to speak to them, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So in each of these letters to the churches, as Jesus sort of introduces himself and begins to bring the message to them, he's going to make reference to himself uh, and he's gonna draw on the things that John saw in the vision that he had that he recorded in the first chapter. And so in the first chapter, we see that Jesus is, he's holding the seven stars in his right hand and he's walking in the midst of the lampstands. And uh, this is speaking of the fact that he is the one who has absolute authority over his church. He holds in his his hand the seven stars, meaning he holds the the leadership of the church in his hand. He has authority over the the leadership of the church. And then he's walking in the midst of the lampstands, which means he's present in his church. And so that's how he uh, introduces himself as he begins to speak. And so as we go through the letter, we see that he begins with a word of commendation. And that is generally the case. There's only one church out of all of the seven that Jesus doesn't commend in some way. Uh, the rest of them, he begins with a word of commendation. He talks to them about the positive things that he sees in the churches. And so here he says in verse two, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil and that you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars, and you have persevered and have had patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. And so as we break that down, that word of commendation, I want you to notice three things. Number one, he commends them for being an active church. They were active. They were busy about the things of the ministry. Uh, the idea here is that they were toiling. They were laboring even to the point of exhaustion. So they were active. They were busy. They were uh, committed to ministry. Secondly, note that they were orthodox. And orthodox means that they believed the right things. They were a doctrinally sound church. They, they would not tolerate at all uh, any false teaching or false teachers. And that's referred to right there uh, in the passage. Their faith was well-defined and well-defended. They exposed and they opposed false teachers. So they were active, they were orthodox, and thirdly, they were loyal to the cause. They labored tirelessly for the name of Christ. So those are all great things. And Jesus commends them for those things. Now, this letter that's coming to Ephesus is coming after 40 years of history. So this church is about, it's approximately 43 years old at this point, maybe a little more, a little less. So think about that. 43 years of history in this church, planted by the Apostle Paul, pastored by Timothy, also pastored by John. 
This is, uh, like I said, this is um, an amazing church. And from all appearances, from everything that one could see just simply by observation, it was a solid Bible-believing, Christ-proclaiming church. It was a great church. There would not have really been anyone that would have looked on at the church of Ephesus and thought, no, you know, they've, they've got problems over there. They would have, in a sense, maybe even sort of been the envy of many of the other churches. They were probably a large church. The city itself had approximately half a million people in it. So you can imagine that there were many people uh, in the congregation over 40 years. It would have grown. Uh, you know, in those days, they didn't meet in, in church buildings like we have today, but they would have been spread out with a, a variety of elders all throughout the community. But undoubtedly, there were lots and lots of uh, people that were part of the church. So they had this great reputation. And like I said a moment ago, people from all around would have wanted to, you know, if they had any way to stop in for the Sunday worship at Ephesus, they would have wanted to do that. So everything outwardly seemed to be just really perfect, but there was an undetected problem to everyone but Jesus. To everyone but Jesus. He knew, he saw, and he felt the problem. What was the problem? Well, he gives them now the word of rebuke. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Something that no one else necessarily would have picked up on. But Jesus, he knows it. He sees it. Of course, he looks beyond the outward. He looks into the heart. And of course, he feels it as well. Because that love uh, that, that is waning was directed toward him. And so he says, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Some translations read, uh, you have abandoned the love you had at first. And the picture here is that of the hearts of the saints in Ephesus growing cold toward Jesus and him knowing that. Now this, of course, is a danger in every age and among every church. And it's really a danger for every Christian person that we could possibly find ourselves still doing all the right things still busy about the business of the Lord, but our hearts are no longer engaged as they once were. You see, leaving one's first love doesn't happen in an instant. It happens gradually, taking place as our focus slowly and imperceptibly shifts from our love relationship with the Lord to just simply doing things for the Lord. This, this is just a reality 
that every one of us have to be aware of, that this potentially could happen to congregations, this potentially can happen to us personally. And so we've got to always be on the lookout lest we slowly drift into this kind of a thing where our hearts are, are no longer fervent toward Jesus himself. We, we might still be super passionate about the ministry. We might still be super passionate about the church. We still might even be super passionate about the cause. You know, there are many people that, that just get really excited about a cause, and you can be very excited about the cause of Christ, and it's a good thing. But we have to make sure that that excitement is coming from a heart that is first and foremost engaged in deep love for Jesus. And if we find that our, our labor or our uh, orthodoxy or our uh, passion for the cause, if it's arising out of anything other than that, that deep love for Jesus, then as good as it looks on the outside, there's something wrong. And Jesus is not going to uh, allow that to continue in that way. So this is a, a warning. It's a rebuke, really. And it's a message for all of us. So what, is, what does it look like to continue in our first love, because he's talking to people who have failed to do that. They've, they've left. So it's clear that they were there once, but they're, they've drifted away from it. What did it look like before? What, did, what does Jesus see that's missing from what was previously there? Well, let me just throw out a few things. The signs of love. You know, what are the signs of love? If, you, if you're just, you know, Many of you, of course, uh, have been in love. You're in love. So you know uh, what those signs are. I know what, what those signs are. But let's think about them just for a second. Signs of love. Number one, there's, there's a, a great desire, a yearning, a longing uh, just to be with the person. Isn't it true? Especially, you know, when you first fall in love with someone, man, you just, you want to be with them all the time. And if you're away from them for any period of time, there's that yearning, there's that longing, there's that desire. Oh, I just, I can't wait for that moment when we can be together again. And there's a delight in the person, a delight that is there even at the thought, just the thought of the person that you love. It just brings delight to your heart just, just to think about them. And you might sit and, and ponder them. Maybe uh, you've written letters to one another and you, you delight just to pull those letters out and just to read over them again and again. There's delight. And then there is gratitude for the person. Oh, your heart is just filled with appreciation for them. You're so thankful uh, that they are a part of your life. And there's sacrifice involved in that as well. You, this person means so much to you. To you. You're, you're willing to give up anything for them. You're willing to do anything for them. There's no 
uh, request that is too much. You're, you're anxious to, to please and to serve. And then I would finally add that there's faithfulness. There's a fierce loyalty when there is real love. There's a, a deep commitment. You know, this morning I shared this obviously at the earlier service and a man came up to me afterward, a friend whose wife passed away uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And he said, you know, he said, as you were reading over those things and he, he began to weep, he said, all of those things that you read, that's exactly how I felt about my wife. And I thought, yeah, that's right. Cause you really loved your wife. That's, that's what we're talking about. And that's what Jesus is talking about. That same kind of love, that, that, that deep, fervent love that we will share amongst ourselves as human beings, uh, that's the kind of love that he's talking about us having for him. Now, it's not that they had completely abandoned their love for Christ. He doesn't say, you don't love me anymore. He says, you've left your first love. And what he's referring to is that their love no longer had the fervency, depth, or meaning it once held. That's the thing. You would ask a person in the church of Ephesus, do you love the Lord? Oh, of course I love the Lord. I mean, what, what do you think? I mean, look at, look at all the stuff I do for the Lord. I'm involved in this ministry and I give to that cause and I'm committed and devoted to the, the truth of the gospel. Well, of course I love the Lord. But yet there was something that was missing, nevertheless, from the perspective of Jesus, the fervency, the depth, the meaning. And as we see, this was and is unacceptable to Jesus. So now he gives the word of correction. And he says this, remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. So what happens if we find ourselves as we think about this whole idea of, of that first love and we find that yes, indeed, we have, uh, we have grown cold. What, if, if we find that as a church collectively, if I find that in my own heart individually, that yes, you know, I have to confess, I have to admit that although I'm still very much engaged in all of these kinds of activities for Jesus, I have to say that my, my love for him is not what it was at one time. What do I do? Well, Jesus said the first thing is we need to remember what it used to be like. In Jeremiah chapter 2, the Lord speaking to the nation of Israel he said this, and I think this is sort of just sort of the Old Testament um, perspective on the same thing. The Lord said, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal when you went after me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holiness to the Lord. God speaking to Israel, he says, look, I remember those days when you loved me. I remember those days when you, you had a deep passion for me. And of course, there God is calling them to remember as well. And that's the same thing. Jesus is saying to us, remember. So we look back 
Maybe we look back congregationally and we think of a time perhaps as a congregation. Maybe there was just a, a greater sense of love for Jesus among us. And even though it was a bit um, intangible in the sense that you, know, you couldn't exactly describe what it was, you, you could just feel it. You, you just, there's an atmosphere of love. Maybe that's the case. Or maybe just in our own lives, we look back and we think, you know, there was a time when my love for Jesus was stronger, when my, my passion for him, my, my fervency for him, when um, I wanted to, my, my deep desire was to be with him and to, and to know him better. I spent more time just uh, delighting in him. I was willing to sacrifice anything for him. I was committed to him personally and seeking to uh, honor him by being faithful to him. Those things that we might look back over. Remember, he said, from where you have fallen. And so we must remember where we were. And then secondly, he said, repent. And repent means to change, means to change your mind, which leads to a change in behavior or change in activity. And then he says this, he says, return. Remember from where you have fallen, repent and go back and do those things. Now here's where it gets a little bit tricky. So go back and do what things? Well, the things that we need to go back and do, the Ephesian church was still doing. They were laboring for the Lord. Obviously, they were in fellowship together. They were holding fast to sound doctrine. They were studying the scriptures. They were obviously people who prayed. They were people who shared the gospel. So when we say, remember from where you've fallen, go back and do the first things, here's the, here's the distinction. It's not just doing the things, but it's doing them with a heart that is first and foremost driven by love for Jesus. Because obviously, we, we're seeing right here, we could do all of those things, but our heart still isn't the right, in the right place. So this comes back to personal devotion. This is the way back. The way back is to personally re-engage with Jesus in a way that all of the activities that you're presently doing, but maybe just going through the motions doing, you go back and stop and say, wait a second. I'm, I'm reading this Bible, not just so I can have more Bible knowledge, but no, I'm reading this Bible so I can get closer to Jesus, so I can see him better, and so I can love him in a greater way. I'm praying not just so I can get things accomplished in my own life or even in the, the bigger you know, cause of Christ in the world. I'm praying not just for that, but I'm praying so that I can experience a deeper, more intimate communion with Christ. And you see those things that we do, whether it's Bible reading or prayer or worship, I'm worshiping 
not just out of a routine, but I'm consciously, intentionally expressing my thanks and praise and love to Jesus as I'm worshiping. And then I'm obeying him. And I'm obeying him not out of fear of retribution for disobedience, but I'm really obeying him as an expression of commitment and loyalty to him. You see, so the solution is really a heart issue. That's the thing we have to see. The solution is a heart issue. Because the reality is we can be doing all the things that cause it to look from the outside like, you know, we're, we're, we're in great shape spiritually. But the, the truth of the matter is we might not be. So it's all about personal devotion. It's all about getting back to the motive for the things that we do is love for Jesus. That's why we do it. That's why I meditate on the Bible. That's why I pray. That's why I worship. That's why I obey. That's why I share the gospel. I do it all because of love for Jesus. That's, that's where Jesus wants us to be. That's what he's talking about here as he gives this, this word going back and doing the first works. And then he gives a warning for those who would fail to do that. He said, if that does not happen, he said, do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. And Again, remember, Jesus is the one, he's walking in the midst of the lampstand. That means he's present in the church. What he's saying is if you don't return to that place where you're loving me first, I'm not gonna come to your church anymore. That's what he's saying. I won't be there. A church without Jesus is not a church that I wanna go to. But that's, that's the warning. And Listen, the truth of the matter is there are many churches like this. And I'm not saying that we are exempt ourselves. I mean, maybe to some degree we have become like this as well. We have a long history as a church. And we have a long history of uh, a lot of good works and a long history of, of orthodoxy and commitment to sound biblical doctrine. And we have a long history of you know, we are in it for the cause of Christ. We're, we want to spread the gospel. But could it be that we as a church have lost that, that first and most important thing, just that, that simple love for Jesus? Because it is true that this does happen. And I would go as far as to say it happens to everybody at some point in time hopefully briefly, but it, but it just happens to us because our hearts have that tendency to uh, grow cold at times. So we've got to be aware that this is a reality that all of us can experience. And we've got to just do, we, we have to just keep going back to doing things with the right motive 
in order to keep us from drifting into that place. And if we do drift toward a place of coldness and hardness in our heart, we, we catch ourselves. We, we uh, recognize that. And then we just say, you know, Lord, forgive me. I mean, I, I've had to do that so many times. You know, there are times when I'm ostensibly worshiping, but I'm, I'm singing, I'm lip syncing anyway, the, you know, uh, the words to the songs, but my, my brain is somewhere completely different. And, and there are times when I suddenly have to stop and say, okay, wait a second, what am I doing? And I have to repent. Lord, forgive me for not focusing on you. Forgive me for not really engaging you with my heart right now. I mean, there's times even, you know, we, we all, all can have these things. Doesn't mean, mean necessarily that we've drifted to this place, but, but these, are, these are dangers that we just have to continue to contend against. But uh, I'll have times where, you know, I'm reading through my Bible, my, my devotions, and I will read an entire chapter, and then I'll suddenly think, what in the world did I just read? And I'll realize, you know, I've thought about 10 different things during the reading of this chapter, and none of them had anything to do with what I was reading. And your, your, your mind just goes off and wanders. So those, you know, those temptations are there. And those battles are there. We, we have to fight against it. We have to recognize that Jesus wants us to be engaged with him because if we, if we want to just be religious, if we want to just go through the motions, he will let us. He will not attend our church. That's what he says. And we don't want that to happen. We don't want that to happen uh, collectively, congregationally, and we certainly don't want that to happen in our lives either. So just, just know this. Uh, when he's talking about removing the, the lampstand from its place, this is not talking about individual Christians losing their salvation or falling from God's grace. Rather, it means that this church will lose its ability to shed the light of the truth. You see, no matter how hardworking, orthodox, or persevering the church may be, if it loses its first love, it will cease to have an illuminating impact on the world. And what's true of the church collectively is true of us as well. So the warning applies to us personally. You see, when we leave our first love and fail to heed the call to return, all the love that is in us due to the presence of Christ, it just evaporates. See, we don't, we don't have that love in us naturally. It's there because of the presence of Jesus and of that ongoing love relationship with him. When we move away from that, it just dries up. And as that happens, we are just going through the religious motions and we lose any beauty or any power uh, within us to impact the world around us. And so, remember, he said, and be warned that this cannot go on. I was reading in John 15 this week, and 
the familiar verses there, Jesus likens the relationship between uh, his people and him as a, a vine and the branches. And he says, abide in me. As a branch cannot bear fruit unless it abide in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And of course, the, the picture there, obviously, between the vine and the branches, there's a, a very intimate connection, right? And so that's what Jesus is talking about. That we would maintain that intimate connection. Now, having said all of this to them, he comes back, interestingly, with another word of encouragement. Verse six, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. It's almost like, it's almost like Jesus knows that this is gonna sting. And so he comes back with, with a little word of encouragement. You know, I would imagine that for the Ephesians church, uh, the Ephesian church, that they were pretty shocked by the letter. I would imagine that they would have thought that, they, that the evaluation of Jesus of their church was gonna be a little bit different. I would imagine that they would have thought that, you know, we're gonna get a pretty good evaluation back from the Lord had they known that he was going to evaluate. And I think they were probably stunned but obviously convicted that, yes, this is true. But then he comes back just as a way of encouragement. Let me just tell you, you guys hate something that I hate. That's a good thing. The deeds of the Nicolaitans. What were the deeds of the Nicolaitans? Nobody knows for sure. But seemingly, it was uh, what, the, what the, the word is kind of... A, self-descriptive word. It's two Greek words. It means to, to rule over or to dominate the people. And it seems like this was maybe the idea that there was a, a hierarchy within the church. The, the division between uh, clergy and laity began here, where there was this idea that there was a, a, a superior group of people in the church uh, the leaders were more spiritual, closer to God, and the, the average person needed to look to them and said it to the Lord. Seems like that's probably what's being referred to here. Jesus says, I hate it, and they hated it too. So that, that was a good thing. So he gives them that commending word. But then as in all of the letters to the churches, he closes with a word of promise. And he says this, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. So at the end of each letter, Jesus takes it from the, the congregational perspective and he brings it down to the personal. You see, in the end, we are all personally responsible to make sure that we respond to the exhortation of Jesus. Even if the church collectively does not respond properly, we still need to do that. And so he brings it down to let he or she, let the person who has an ear to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So if a person finds themselves in a church that Jesus uh, has issues with, and the church decides, well, you know, we don't care. We're not going to deal with it. We're not going to fix it. Uh, 
that person personally has to make sure that they are not um, complicit in that. So it, it brings it down to a personal thing. But then also finally, and this is the last point I wanna make, is he speaks in each one of these to the overcomers. And what these letters remind us of, and we should not forget, is that we are in a big battle. We're in a big battle. And the road to heaven is fraught with many dangers. And we have to always be on our guard. We're in a huge battle, and that battle has different dimensions to it. There's the, the dimension uh, that is spiritual in the sense that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're, we're in a battle with demonic forces. We're in a battle with the world, the system of the world that is opposed to God and insisting on doing uh, things the, the complete opposite of the way that God says to do them and uh, trying to impose upon us, trying to impose upon everybody that you know, you've got to follow suit. But then you know where our biggest battle is? Our biggest battle is right in our own hearts. See, that's the problem. We found the enemy and realized that it was us. We are the problem. And so we can't forget that it is a battle and we must always be on our guard. And the first place to guard is our hearts from growing cold or indifferent to our Savior. That's where it all starts. We've got to guard our hearts. And here's the truth. If you stoke the fires of love for Jesus, you will do well. None of these other things will, in the end, ever be able to latch on and, and remain with us. As long as we continue to stoke the fires of love for Jesus. And so how do we do that? Again, we, we be with him, truly. We be with him in our Bible reading. We be with him in prayer. We be with him in worship. Be, we be with him in service that we never lose sight, or, or if we start to lose sight, we always get back to that place of remember, no, this is about Jesus. This is about uh, him as a person who is living, who loves me, who shed his blood for me, who died in my place. See, we need to constantly make that personal and remember that when we think of the cross, that that cross was all about you and me personally. Jesus was dying in our place. He was showing the, the greatest demonstration of love imaginable, laying down his life for his friends. And we want to reciprocate. We want to give that same love back. So meditate on God's word and remember that in doing that, you're ultimately there to engage with Jesus. Pray and remember that in doing that, you're ultimately there to engage with Jesus. Worship and remember that as you're doing that, you're ultimately there to express your love and appreciation to him. And of course, obey him because in that you're showing him that you are 
committed to him, that you are loyal. And as you go about uh, expanding the kingdom, spreading the gospel, just always remember it's about Jesus. It's easy to get hung up. Everybody's different, but you know, you get hung up on so many things, church things, theological things. I've known people who love theology. They love it so much. They just, they, they want to know it inside out and they want to argue about it and contend for it. And yet they don't really love Jesus. They like the ideas that, that spring from what Jesus did for us, but they don't necessarily love Jesus. We don't want to be like that. God help us. Lord, would you help us wherever we might be today? And Lord, as a church, Lord, we want to be a church that truly loves you first. Lord, we want to do all those good and right things, but we want to do them with a heart that is motivated by love for you. And Lord, we know that as we do that, that's going to be evident. There's going to be that atmosphere of love among us, and that's what we desire. Lord, in our personal lives, would you help us? Would you help me, Lord? Help all of us to engage with you truly. Lord, to remember that the most important thing of all to you is that we love you. And Lord, we know that we love you because you first loved us. And so Lord, help us. Thank you, Lord, that you promised that you would guide us into the love of God. Lord, we need your help even to love you. So would you help us today? In your name, amen. Let's stand together.